Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, can we expect to have the COVID-19 measures for the next few months here in the Hamilton area? We'll talk with Paul Johnson, the director of our Emergency Operations Center, to get all the details on that. And the federal government announced their wage subsidy program yesterday that is supposed to help businesses that are losing 30% or more of their revenue. We'll get all the details on that and the implications it could have for employees. And Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward joins us for their Burlington Mayor's Town Hall. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How is it going here in the city of Hamilton? Uh, can we expect more months of uh, these, uh, the, the measures that have been put in place here to try to deal with this? Is it making any impact at all? Well, Paul Johnson is the guy who's keeping an eye on that. Paul is the director of our Emergency Operations Center here for the city of Hamilton. And he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us an update. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? Hi, good morning, Bill. I'm doing well, thanks. Good, good. Healthy, I hope. I am healthy. So I, I have a very limited world. Uh, I sometimes make it to City Hall to do the, obviously, the press conferences. I come home, I go to the grocery store, and I picked up one medication. So outside that's of that, uh, uh, that's, that's the way life should be for people. And I'm trying to model that, and so far, so good. Well, we were mentioning this is kind of like the new normal, but I mean, it really is. And it looks like it's going to be this way for some time to come, Paul. Uh, it, it does appear that way. Uh, I mean, the virus is going to tell us when we can we can yeah. take some of these measures and and lessen them. And until we uh, we feel that we've elongated that curve, flattened the curve, crushed the curve, whatever terminology you want to use these days, uh, the bottom line is 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 until we've figured out how we we don't overwhelm our healthcare system and, and other systems with uh, with illness and unfortunately in some cases death. Um, we're going to be in these types of measures uh, for for a while. So the the challenge will be, of course, uh, what are the total measures and how long do all of them go on for? And and that's a really um, that's a really interesting uh, piece of work that's happening as everybody tries to model what this looks like. Uh, we can't stay in shutdown forever, but uh, we do need to make sure that uh, we don't start to do things. Um, too soon. And I think what you've seen the provincial government do, and, and we applauded and we're going to be following it starting today, uh, is uh, people aren't getting the message. Uh, and so there were some things in community that were left uh, for use, although we encouraged proper physical distancing. And uh, you know, it's too many people going out and too many people doing the same things they normally do. And so now the new provincial order, um, there isn't going to be much available for people to do. And that's going to send the message, stay at home or really near your home. That's where you need to be. Paul, I know you're in constant contact with obviously the mayor, but also with uh, Dr. Richardson, uh, the medical officer of health for the community. And she was on the program yesterday. Uh, and she raised an interesting point that I think people need to be cognizant of. And I know you are because you talk about this on a daily basis. Uh, we look at this and look at what's going on, for instance, in New York and, and you know, the, the steady rise, the sharp rise that they've had in the number of uh, confirmed cases there. And we say, well, it's not that bad here in the Hamilton area. But as Dr. Richardson reminded us, the numbers that she's talking about right now, and even going back to this past weekend where they said there was, you know, it spiked up just to over 70, those are about three weeks old because it takes so long for testing results to get back. We really have no idea how many cases there are right here in the Hamilton area, do we? Uh, no, we don't have that that total number, and and now it will become harder and harder to to ever know that. Um, the reality is, we moved um, a number of days ago into what we call community transmission, and uh, I know Dr. Richardson would have shared a bit of that, and that continues to grow. And so, as more and more cases become, um, there seems to be no discernible link to a traveler or to travel itself, which is where this began. It was really you know, quite a tight band of those that were, were infected and testing COVID positive was uh, they were traveling uh, themselves or it was a close contact with somebody who had traveled. And so that made contact, uh, case contact and working with that uh, a little more straightforward. Now uh, there are cases where we just don't know where somebody came in contact with it. And so that means that uh, that, that we have you know, growing numbers that are likely to to appear, not likely, they will appear. Uh, and Dr. Richardson, I'm sure, shared that. Uh, so we're going to see that rise. And all of the efforts that we've been trying to take over these last couple of weeks have been to, to uh, you know, stunt that rise, uh, push it down as far as is possible. To say we're going to stop COVID-19 in its tracks is is never been the message, and it can't be the message. They're, we're not going to stop it in its tracks tomorrow or the next day. But we do need to 
uh, flatten that out and, and, and elongate out the number of cases so that we can actually handle them so that as people get sick, it's not overwhelming. It doesn't take out, you know, huge amounts of our workforce. It doesn't, uh, uh, you know, overwhelm hospitals with hospitalization. We need to, uh, to, to spread this out over time, which is then why you get into the situation of we can't lock everything down for a few days and we win. This is going to be an ongoing period of, uh, of ensuring that we have the proper distance and social uh, distancing is, is critical to this. I mean, the, the good news of this is, you know, outside of that six-foot band, I listened very carefully to, to Dr. Richardson, to Dr. Harvey. Uh, this thing doesn't have, you know, as, as Dr. Harvey says, superhuman uh, abilities to, to leap uh, tall buildings in a single bound. If you keep that six-foot halo uh, the chances of you contracting this are very slim. If you uh, wash your hands regularly, if you're conscious of the things you touch and make sure you clean your hands after and don't touch your face and, and eyes and other areas that uh, where the virus can get into our body, you're going to be very, very well protected. So it's actually fairly straightforward things. The challenge is it's not things that we do naturally on a daily basis, Bill, and that's what we're seeing in communities. It, interestingly enough, though, and there, I, I know we are called tied up in, in catchphrases now, uh, and obviously, you know, we want to flatten the curve and things of that nature. But uh, Dr. Fauci, of course, who's the guy who's uh, standing there beside the president on their daily things every day, made two interesting comments that I think we need to keep in mind. And you're absolutely right. He says the virus will determine where the virus is going to We can't set the timeline. The virus sets the timeline for when these things are going to be relaxed. But the other thing you mentioned I thought was very germane to this. If we stop moving around, the virus will stop moving around. And, and that's something I think we really have to use as, as the guide for what we need to do right now. And I guess it's really the guiding principle on how you uh, and the rest of the people on your task force here are setting up policies. Absolutely. Uh, we can do our part and we must do our part. And we've now shifted away from, you know, let's try and, and balance things as best we can to, you know, we're going to be much more into the enforcement uh, uh, business um, because, you know, we have too many people going to some places and now the province is going to make that easier. We're gonna, you know, we are now under the new order going to close all communal or shared public or private outdoor recreational amenities. Uh, that means uh, no off-leash dog park access. That means, you know, don't stand in a, in a shelter within a park. If you want to walk through a park uh, as you go out for a little stroll around where you live, um, that's fine as long as you keep the right distancing. But, you know, to your point, Bill, we have to realize that, that when you go outside, it is right around where you live. It's not take a trip, drive somewhere, go somewhere neat, and get together with some folks and enjoy outdoor space anymore. Uh, this is absolutely get out and get some fresh air, but do it right around where you live and keep your distance. And, and um, you know, that message has to get through because I, I agree with you. We have the ability to limit uh, this spread and uh, we really need to take this opportunity, particularly because it's becoming harder and harder to trace exactly uh, who might be spreading this because of the community transmission of this virus. Paul, as we watch how other communities are handling this, and, and I, we need to underscore this to say that in many cases they have many more cases and, and many more confirmed cases than we have here, even on a per capita basis. But we, we see how public buildings are being transformed into hospitals, or, you know, if makeshift hospitals are being set up, et cetera. Uh, I'm assuming, based on the conversations I've had with you and, and the mayor and Dr. Richardson over the last couple of weeks, that there is a contingency plan if things get that bad. We're not there yet, but but if you guys are preparing for the worst-case scenario and ready to implement it if, in fact, these numbers do start to spike. Absolutely. Uh, you know, our healthcare partners, uh, hospitals, uh, you know, the healthcare system, uh, municipalities, uh, we have plans in place. And all of this is, is, is we work on a daily basis in the municipal or uh, emergency operations center. Same thing in happening in hospitals and healthcare. What we're looking at is what are those next steps we need to take? And we've all, we've got a plan. Uh, and that plan goes out to, to some of the worst case scenarios. Uh, but it's also about, you know, ratcheting up to that as is necessary uh, and that allows us to protect resources it allows us to ensure that we can you know try and keep as much uh, normalcy as is possible and so you've seen that the city has progressively uh, been tighter and tighter in terms of what service and what access we're allowing uh, as we've needed to as as we get to these higher parts of the curve and and then there will eventually be a relaxation again as we as we get through this so that's the way we look at it but uh, absolutely uh, you know, uh, pandemic planning and emergency planning, um, big institutions and organizations have taken that very seriously for a long time. And, you know, the comfort I have is that there are good people that understand how we need to plan for this. 
the challenge in this pandemic is, um, you know, we're still a little bit fuzzy as exactly what the trajectory looks like. The modeling is inaccurate because human behavior is, is not something that we can completely control for. And so that's some of the challenge that we have in terms of exactly where this is going to go. Well, exactly. And to that point, uh, I want to get into this next part of this. And you talked about enforcement. Uh, when we talk about, for instance, uh, the, the dog park around the corner from our place here, the Nathan Cerullo Dog Park in Ancaster, uh, don't go there. Uh, you know, public spots, public all of these things that we've talked about in the past that some people thought, well, if long as I keep six feet away. The answer is no. Uh, businesses that are non-essential should be shut down. And uh, we're into a in enforcement mode here at the city right now. Uh, and I know some people call this a snitch line, but what this is is people that are not complying, uh, bylaw will respond to, to those, uh, those instances where that's going on. Because, uh, you know, when we say shut down, Paul, it's not a suggestion. It's, a, it's an order. This is what we need to do and what you're ordered to do by law now. It is. And, you know, the provincial government, and, and we would concur at a municipal level, um, you know, the the moral suasion, uh, the persuasive approaches to it, uh, they didn't work to, to, to the degree we needed to. And I would say that the vast majority of people are taking this seriously, but still too many people are not. And so now what you've seen is the province saying this is an order. Uh, they've actually uh, uh, delegated some authority around that, not only to the police who had it under previous orders, but also now to our bylaw officers so we can work in conjunction with the police. And there are fines that can be laid, uh, you know, on worst case scenarios, I suppose somebody might even be arrested. And we hope we never get there. But what this does do is it gives us a bit more of the authority to go out and educate and be very clear with people. The other thing is, is we'll be, uh, you know, uh, starting to re-sign things that it's not a, you can use this if it's going to be, you can no longer use this. It's closed. And that provides the city with some additional uh, authorities to, to enforce. And so you're quite right. Your comment is the right one. These aren't suggestions. These aren't, you know, do it if you want to. These are no longer suggestions for certain populations. And if you look at the population of 70-year-olds and over, the chief medical officer of health was even clearer. Don't go out at all. Self-isolate. Have your uh, friends and family uh, go out and get your groceries and bring them to you. So this is a serious uh, scaling up of our uh, social distancing uh, regime in this province and in this city, uh, not only for older adults in our community, but for, for all of us. And so, you know, as I say, let's be real clear about what we're talking about when you go out. If you have to work because you're in an essential service, you obviously have to go out and do that. If you need to access health care, do that appropriately. If you need to go for groceries or medication, absolutely, we have to eat and we have to stay healthy. If you have to walk your pet, do it around where you live and make it as fast as is possible. And if you have to help somebody else who's really vulnerable, and that's that delivery of groceries to a vulnerable senior or helping somebody out that you need, know needs help, do that um, because that keeps our community safe. But that's it. <laughs> so, you know, we're, the kids are still out of school. I want to go out and play with my friends. There's an answer to that. And that answer right now is no. No, absolutely no. Listen, I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to uh, talk about uh, donations here as well, because you do have people, the frontline folks that are out there, public health officials and, of course, first responders that are out there and exposing themselves to these possible dangers. Uh, but you need the same sorts of things that hospitals do, too, things like uh, you know, uh, gloves, masks, sanitizers, things of that nature. So. I, I know that if there, if there are people that have those and have them to offer, uh, the, the city would welcome these donations because obviously these frontline workers need these things on a daily basis. We are. Uh, we do, and we are uh, calling on uh, anyone who has supplies of this and won't be using them, obviously, because their business is closed, uh, or perhaps they had real, uh, you know, much larger stockpiles than they'll, they'll need, even if their business does open soon. Uh, PPE at Hamilton.ca is the email address, probably the best way to get in touch with us, and we'll arrange for, for that to happen. Um, the challenge with a global pandemic where everybody is dealing with very similar issues just at different varying levels of, of number of cases is everybody needs this type of equipment. Uh, this type of virus uh, and how it spreads requires us to have what, uh, you know, this personal protective equipment that we need. And so the challenge is everybody's after it. And, um, you know, as the cases rise, as the number of people who have this, this virus increases, uh, we will go through more of these supplies. And so the the usage of these supplies is increasing. And uh, we're asking uh, to get as much as we can here locally collected for the people who really need it. 
And that's not people that are going out and walking their dog around the neighborhood. <laughs> that is our first responders. That is people working in healthcare. That is our, our folks in, in long-term care facilities. So we really are asking for that alongside what we're doing to procure those ourselves and working with the provincial and federal governments as they uh, look to get large, large amounts of these, not donated, but actually purchase them so they can be uh, delivered to healthcare. This is the really, really important piece of it. I can't stress enough that what worries me when I look at other cities that are in way worse shape than Hamilton is, so I need to, I need to state that clearly, but when you do look at where it gets bad, um, you know, 25, 30% of their paramedics not at work because they're sick. Nurses and doctors at home because they're sick, not able to provide the care and the treatment that we need. That's stress and strain we want to protect. And one of the per- easy ways that we do that is making sure, as we are today, that our staff are protected when they go out and do their jobs. And as doctors have been telling us, and I know Dr. Richardson reminded us of this, and we're hearing this from Dr. Tam, of course, on, on a national level, if you are asymptomatic, in other words, if you don't have any of the symptoms of this, you don't need a face mask. Uh, it's, it's a waste of a face mask to be wearing this. The other day I had to go to the grocery store, and I saw 15, 20 people with that. Now, if they have symptoms, that's fine. But if you don't, you don't need that. That's something that maybe a first responder could use. So we have to, I think, start thinking in all, all on those lines of what can we do over and above what we're doing just by staying in the house. Uh, and this is a very fluid situation, as you mentioned, Paul. So obviously we're going to try and stay in touch with you and the mayor and Dr. Richardson uh, to get a handle on exactly what's going on. Do appreciate the time today. I know it's a very busy day. Well, every day is going to be a busy day for you until we get this thing under control. But thanks so much for this. And uh, stay healthy and continue good luck to you and everybody at the staff that are still out there uh, trying to keep this city going while the rest of us are hopefully uh, socially distancing ourselves. Take care, Paul. Thanks, Bill. Stay safe. Paul Johnson, of course, the uh, city of Hamilton. Uh, and, and, yeah, social distancing. And, th- by the way, just to remind you of what Paul just said, uh, we are adopting here in Hamilton what uh, Premier Ford talked about yesterday afternoon, where public places are now shut down. Now, that includes dog parks. It includes all kinds of parks. You want to, you like to go walking in some of the downtown parks? The answer is no. Don't do that unless absolutely necessary. And as we've seen in other communities, uh, if you're seen doing that uh, and a bylaw officer or a police officer is, sees you doing that, uh, there's quite likely a chance that you're going to get stopped and asked what the heck you're doing out there. And you better have a good reason. That's the only way we're going to get a handle on this. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. As we've talked about so many times, uh, the business as usual thing is just not happening anymore. There's so many different twists and turns that are going on. And it seems like on a daily basis now we're hearing more about uh, employment situations that are changing and people that uh, had a job yesterday and maybe don't have one today. Uh, Air Canada made that announcement yesterday. Of course, of course, huge layoffs that are going on. So what do you do if you're in a situation like that? What options do you have? What rights do you have? What choices do you have? Because uh, it could be happening. We just don't know. Some businesses are already shut down. Others have been told to uh, take reduced hours. And uh, as an employee, uh, it's it's a, a pretty tough time right now to try to figure out what's going on, which is why we want our next guest to come back and uh, talk to us about this. Andrew Goldberg is an associate with Lior Samfiro, of course, uh, employment lawyers. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Yeah, thank you, Bill, for uh, having me back on. Well, this is uh, such a pivotal time right now, and I've had so many emails and calls over the last little while, Andrew, saying, like, you know, what are my options? What are my choices? If my employer comes to me, and says, look, it, it's time for you to, to, well, either lay off, we'll get to that in a second, but reduced hours. I can't afford to pay you the salary, maybe half salary. Uh, do you take that? Do you say, well, that's better than nothing? What, what, what options do you as an employee have in circumstances like this? Well, that's a very interesting question because I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar with a new benefit that was passed by the government. It's called the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Yeah, yeah. So obviously EI... I don't know if you've known, but last week, apparently, another million people applied for EI. There's 500,000 the week before. I think it's now at 1.6 million, which is just a staggering number if you think about the fact that there's just shy of 40 million Canadians in the country. Um, so they put through this new benefit with the intention that there'll be easy access to it. And even if you weren't someone that qualified for EI, um, such as a gig worker, like an Uber driver, or if you were self-employed, you would now also qualify for this benefit. However, the one thing that's not clear is what happens if you your income has been drastically reduced. 
So it is clear that if you're on a temporary layoff and not earning any money, or if you're let go from your job and earning no money, that you won't qualify for this benefit. But it's not entirely clear what happens. So say theoretically, you know, you're an Uber driver that does 60 rides a week on average, and you're now down to four rides. Do you qualify this for this benefit? Is it worthwhile to just maybe stop doing those four rides and get the benefit? We don't really know yet. Um, Finance Minister Bill Morneau is scheduled to speak today, and, and hopefully he addresses this and, and we get some greater clarity because that, that it is a very good question with respect to this new... Uh, uh, and, and that's what—that's one of the questions I'm getting a lot, and, and I'm in the same boat as you, Andrew, as, as everyone else is, I guess, right now. We need some clarity on this. You know, when the Prime Minister talked about 30% reduction, uh, is that from last year? Is that from last month? We really don't know yet, do we? Well, yeah, I mean, so, so that's the second thing. So there's two big benefits. One is for individuals. So the one I was just talking about is for an individual. The second big thing is the wage subsidy. I mean, I think the wage subsidy, uh, which is what you're talking about, so businesses that uh, experience a 30% reduction in revenue, they will qualify for 75% wage subsidy up to the first uh, $58,700 that an employee earns. So that's going to be big time because it ostensibly covers all businesses that are adversely impacted. And uh, we're hoping that with this wage subsidy, a lot of people are recalled to work, considering 75% of their wages will now be well, up to a max, but 75% of their wages will now be uh, subsidized by the government. So, again, there's a lot of questions that stem from the wage subsidy that's being pushed through. And right now, it's, you know, other than the fact that we don't know how much it's going to cost us as a country, it, it, it shows that we should be optimistic that less people will be laid off uh, and some people will be recalled to their jobs. But I guess there's going to have to be some analysis here, though, isn't there, to, to ask for, for the employer and the employee uh, when we start to get some of the details here to decide, uh, is that 75% of the salary, is that beneficial, or should I just I'll just get EI altogether and, and forget about this and just take the layoff? I, I guess it's going to be a choice for some folks. But if you're laid off, the other element to this that I'm getting a lot of questions about, though, Andrew, is if you're laid off, are you still covered by, if you have a benefit package at, at your place of employment? Does that still apply to you? Well, the deal with temporary layoffs are, number one, you know, the law is not entirely clear how things are going to play out now, but historically, a company would have to have the right to place you on a temporary layoff in the first place. So your contract would have to say something along the lines of, we have the right to temporarily lay you off in accordance with the Employment Standards Act, okay? Mm-hmm. okay. Now, let's, let's just, and if they don't have the right, then that can amount to a termination of employment, a constructive dismissal, okay? So if, if it doesn't say anywhere in your contract that you can be laid off, that's an issue. Uh, that's something you should um, speak to a lawyer about, okay? The second thing is, say theoretically the company has the right to lay you off, there's timelines prescribed in the Employment Standards Act, so... You know, an employer can lay someone off for 13 weeks in a 20-week period, or if they continue that person's benefits, they can lay them off for 35 weeks in a 52-week period. So an employer does not have to continue the benefits during the temporary layoff, but if they do, it gives them a greater time frame for which they can keep that person on a layoff, because after the 13 weeks with no benefits or after the 35 weeks with benefits, the uh, statute will deem that as a termination. You'll be deemed to have been terminated, and you'll be entitled to severance. So it's it's really, I guess, it, it, there is no blanket coverage here, really. It depends on your individual situation with, with your employer then, doesn't it? It does. It does. An employer is by no means, if you're put on temporary layoff, your employer is by no means obligated to continue your benefits uh, during the period of temporary layoff. However, if they don't continue the benefits, it will trigger a, uh, a termination faster, and then you'd be entitled to your, your severance entitlements. So we'll get some more details about that, of course, as you mentioned with the finance minister. Hopefully we will anyway later on today when he makes his announcement and, and puts some meat on the bones about what's going on here. It, but it's really kind of thrown this whole thing up, uh, upside down for an awful lot of people, and I can understand the angst that so many folks are feeling right now uh, with layoff situations like this. But from the employer standpoint, let me go to the other side of the table here for a second, Andrew. How difficult is it going to be now for them to make that determination 
to keep the doors open or to keep staff on there. I know the government's trying to help out here by offering these programs and, and some sort of compensation right now. But again, there's going to have to be some calculations done there as to whether or not it's going to be financially uh, worthwhile for them. I mean, larger corporations, I know people, you know, if you're Bill Gates, I guess you can afford to do this. But if you're running a mom-and-pop operation, uh, it's, it's a little more difficult to suggest that, yeah, I'm going to try to be as, as kind as I can to my employees like that because, you, let's face it, they still have a bottom line they have to adhere to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a great point. I think there's something to keep in mind, which is, you know, it, it is 2020. I think what this, you know, the current state of the employment world has shown us more than anything is a lot of work can be done from home. A lot of work can be done in a more kind of variable environment. You know, the traditional you all have to be at the office type of thing is really proving to be not as necessary as was once thought, right? So, with this wage subsidy, I mean, it's very significant, 75% of wages, right? So if you're an employer and you can see, and you know that the government is now going to cover up to 75% of wages up to just shy of $60,000, I mean, you have a little more money at your disposal, hopefully, to kind of, you know, like, like you said, you know, it's expensive to set people up from home. There's, there's IT infrastructure costs and things like that. But, you know, if, you, if part of their wages, a significant part of their wages are now being covered, it should open the door for employers to do more things and become more flexible as they have more money in their pocket. So I think um, it'll be interesting. I think this thing, this should definitely help. I, I mean, I think the big concern is, number one, how much is it going to cost the country to, to, to finance this? It's, it's an enormous undertaking. So Fillmore oh, yeah. Noah is supposed to release some... Uh, information on that today. And then the second thing to keep in mind is Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, has made it very clear that he wants money in employers' pockets and he wants money in employees' pockets as soon as humanly possible. So when you start applying for this wage subsidy as an employer or you apply for the CERB, um, like EI replacement benefit as an employee, a lot of it's going to be based on the honor system. They're not going to be doing a lot of due diligence, a lot of fact-checking. They're going to trust you. But what's going to happen is down the line in tax season, if at the end, you know, when the CRA starts getting involved in looking into things, if you apply for the subsidy, if you apply for CERB and you weren't one of the people that qualified, I think a lot of people are going to be facing significant penalties, significant fines, um, have owe interest payments, have to pay the amounts back. So... It will be certainly interesting to see if, you know, how transparent and honest people are and companies are in applying for these things, because I expect that a lot of people are going to get dinged pretty hard uh, at some point in the future. Right, and that's a very valid point. I know the Prime Minister warned people about that, you know, don't try to scam the system here. Uh, and he did admit yesterday, and I'm sure Mr. Morneau, the finance minister, is going to say the same thing today, that they don't have time to, to do background checks and to make sure whether or not everybody qualifies. They'd rather err on the side of caution and say, if you're asking for it, we're going to give it to you. But Canada Revenue will look into this. Uh, oh, that's yeah. their job. Uh, at some point, they're going to say, wait just a second here. You applied for this. You got all this extra money, and you don't qualify for this. Uh, they will come after you. It won't be the government that will do it. It'll be the Canada Revenue Agency. So, they're either going to get you now or they're going to get you later on. So that's, I think that's a lesson learned here, that we need to be honest about this if we're going to apply for this. When you're in yeah. a situation like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say simply, you know, you're 100% right. But I think from a, you know, from a moral perspective, forget about the, the legality of it all, you know, if we want to do a good job as a country of battling this COVID virus, if we want to get back to normal, you know, I've been home working from home for three weeks. I, I live in a condo and I pace in circles and that's been exciting. But, <laughs> um, you know, if we want to get back to normal at some point, we need everyone to get on track. So if you're someone that doesn't <laughs> qualify for the CERB benefit or you're someone that, that has the money to get by, you know, think about, you know, the issues being caused if, if, other people in need don't get it. You know, it's going to prolong this thing even longer. So, but Canadians are good about that. I mean, there's some underlying values that all Canadians have. We're, we're there for each other. And, you know, I think, you know, relatively speaking, we've done a decent job at the social distancing and, and things like that. So I'm confident everyone will do the right thing. Obviously, there will be some people that don't. Um, but, but you look at it, and, and it's very important that we all work together. It's the only way that we'll get past this thing, you know, in a timely manner. And, I can leave my 
condo one day. Well, that's going to happen. We're not sure just when, but uh, I'm glad you're practicing that, uh, as, as us, the rest of us are, too. I, well, I'm doing the show from our home today as well, so uh, we're all stuck in the same boat, I guess. But there are people that have contacted me, and I'm sure you guys, uh, Andrew, have had the same sort of uh, uh, response from certain people that are saying, look, at this is kind of a scary time. Uh, my shop hasn't closed. Maybe it is one of those essential services, or it could be even a grocery store, any number of different things like that. And some of those employees are rather worried about that. Uh, and, you know, um, they're being exposed, uh, potential exposure anyway, to the virus. Do you approach your employer in a situation like that and said, I'm not comfortable? Uh, obviously, you risk losing your job or getting laid off, whatever the case might be. So, I mean, you know, it, you can go too far on this or the employer can go too far in a situation like that. But when you're in a precarious situation like this, uh, you know, I think the obvious police, fire, and people like that and first responders is one thing, but there are other people that are still out there working and very concerned about their work environment. How do you approach that with your employer? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. And the employer has an obligation to ensure a safe workplace. And as the virus spreads and as numbers increase, uh, reported cases increase, people are going to get more nervous to go into work. All that being said, if you are, if you do have concerns, you should bring them to the employer and the employer should do everything in their power to ensure that the workplace is a sanitary place to be. There's good social distancing procedures in place. Um, employees have gloves, employees have masks, which is, which is also hard because, as you know, there's a shortage of masks for medical workers, um, you know, maybe limiting the number of people in the stores different things that employers can do to help ensure that the workplace is safe. If you're an employee and you do have concerns, then certainly raise those to your employer and the employer should work to help, you know, better the environment when it comes to ensuring safety in the workplace for you as an employee. But, but ultimately you're right. I mean, I think there's some people that are so worried that there's the employer could probably do everything in the world and they still wouldn't feel comfortable going to work. They just want to sit at home, right? So in that situation, I mean, you could ask your employer to put you on a temporary layoff, and you could try to mutually agree to a temporary layoff and just see how that conversation goes with your employer. They don't necessarily have to do so, but if not, the employer would have to establish that the workplace is safe enough that, you know, you should have been there. And you should be there. Which I, I, you know, yeah, the larger employers. I mean, you know, for instance, I mentioned, I mentioned the store industries, uh, the you know the grocery industry, the Loblaws and the Sobies and everybody else. I understand are putting protective things up there uh, at the cash registers and, and giving the employees the opportunity to wear gloves and things. But if you're you know a clerk in a in a variety store or something like that, it's it's got to be a real concern. So I would think that's got a discussion that we have to have uh, with the employer if we're in a circumstance like that. Uh, but with these new programs. And, and what the government is offering these days. Obviously, a lot of these companies uh, that are in that situation are, are going to have to have that discussion. As an employee, uh, knowing the predicament that, uh, that the, the whole economy is in right now, do you initiate that discussion or do you wait until the hammer comes down and the boss says, look, we need to have a talk about whether or not you're going to come into work next week? Are you saying with respect to the like the wage subsidy? Yeah, the, yeah, the wage subsidies, etc. Assuming that you know your your employer is going to apply for something like that, do you volunteer for it, or or, or how how do you approach something like that as an employee, or you just wait until the, your boss, your employer, decides to talk to you about it? Yeah, I mean it's something that the employer takes advantage of. I mean, yeah. the way the way that it, we don't really know how it's going to work in this iteration, but essentially how it, how I understand it worked at some point it was a ten percent subsidy. I don't know if you recall, and I know last time we spoke on the show, I spoke on the show with you. We were talking about how dynamic things were and how things were constantly changing. I mean, at that time there were two employee benefits and the subsidy was ten percent, and now I'm here a week later and we have one big benefit and the subsidy is seventy five percent. So. Things are changing every day. How I understood the first iteration to work was that, so essentially, if you're an employee, the employer withholds certain amounts of your paycheck for income tax and remits it to the government, right? Right, right. And my understanding with the first iteration was that the way that a company takes advantage of the wage subsidy is that they, they withhold those amounts that they normally remit to taxes, but they just keep them as as a credit to set off against the subsidy. So they okay. don't have to pay that back. They can keep it. So, I mean, it really is up to the employer to take advantage of that, and also the employer needs to establish 
that they have 30% reduction in revenues. An employee wouldn't know that, of course, right? Yeah. So it, it's something that the employer has to avail itself of um, and take advantage of. I don't really think it's up to the employee whether the employer does utilize the subsidy. I mean, if you're if you are an employee and and you're getting laid off and a bunch of your co- coworkers are getting laid off and there's no right to do so in your contract and, the, and your company's not taking advantage of that subsidy, I think that that's certainly a concern and uh, would help bolster the argument that your layoff was, in fact, determination. This is a, a fluid situation, as we've talked about. You know, in the space of 24 hours, you're right, the, the subsidy went from 10% all the way up to 75%. Uh, and we don't know what the, the finance minister is going to say today. So uh, we're going to hang on and, and talk about more of this on a continuing basis. Uh, you're not going anywhere, Andrew, so you're stuck in your condo for the next <laughs> little while. So we know where to get a hold of you. Uh, thanks so much for this and for some clarity on this. And uh, I'm sure that with some of the new machinations we're going to get from the government in the coming days, you and I will talk about those as they come up. But uh, stay safe, stay healthy and we'll talk again soon okay yeah i appreciate it anytime and it seems every time i come on i can answer half the questions and we have further questions as a result of same so i I feel that will be the the continuing thing going forward but i'll try to continue answering everything i can and i'll keep up with everything and provide your listeners with as much information as i can so thanks for having me on and and yes, I will be here in my condo if you know where to find me. <laughs> Thanks again, Andrew. Andrew Goldberg, of course, with Lior Sanfuro, Employment Lawyers. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, Mayor's Town Hall, and we're pleased to welcome Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward to the program. And uh, we will open the lines up a little bit later on for your calls at 905-645-3221 if you have questions or comments for the Mayor of the City of Burlington. And uh, we'll get to that in a couple of seconds. Uh, lots of ground to cover, though. Uh, Madam Mayor, great to have you with us today. Uh, thanks so much for the time. I hope things are well with you and you're healthy. All good. We are. Uh, the dog is loving that everyone is home. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we're all here, so uh, it's good. We're all healthy and safe and happy to be on the show again. Uh, sorry I can't see you in person, but uh, these are the times we are in. This is one of the difficulties, though. I mean, the city still has to operate. Uh, obviously, we're doing a lot of self-isolation here, and you're, you're working from home, as most of us are these days. But essential services have to carry on, and uh, it's it's a lot easier to, to go into an office and to be able to talk to managers, etc. This Doing things like this uh, from afar is, is a little more difficult, but very necessary, isn't it? It is, and we're all finding creative ways. Uh, you know, pe- people who bought stocks in Zoom or Skype, <laughs> you know, are are going to do well. Uh, those those technologies, all the teleconferencing, uh, you know, that is happening. Uh, the phone lines have actually gone down initially in the first couple of days of this because so many people were using that. But I do think it is going to change the way that we work, and uh, I don't believe that we will go back to the way things were after we get through this. I think a lot of good changes will come out of this and uh, you know i think a lot of folks are probably going realizing that are that are home now how much they enjoy being with their family and uh taking time for those things that honestly uh most most times none of us have time for so i think uh you know there's there's a flip side you get a bit stir crazy and frustrated with mm-hmm. each other too but but i think um I think we're learning just what a slower pace of life looks like, and I think it'll be hard to give that up, and really we shouldn't. Uh, that's, that's about mental health and physical well-being, and, and those are very important considerations. Our, we aren't just made for work. We're made uh, as complete human beings. Interesting uh, about how we respond to this and how communities respond. And uh, when I talked to Mayor Eisenberger about this a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, we, we've talked about planning. Now, we, we knew this was happening, and we knew that, okay, there was a possibility of this turning from an epidemic to a pandemic. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about how the city prepares for something like this and the emergency plan. I, I know you've had to deal with floods uh, in the past, and you've had to deal with, with uh, natural disasters, but when something like this comes along, it's, it's a totally different animal. But still, nonetheless, it does create this emergency situation within the community. Absolutely. And our emergency response, like uh, probably every municipality out there, is run through our fire department. We have uh, a policy that is council approved in terms of how that is structured. We have some directives, of course, from the province and some standardization. But as soon as uh, you know, we we declared first a level two emergency, then a level three, and then a full state of emergency over the course of uh, really about a week and a half. 
that activates the emergency control group that is uh, run out of fire uh, out of the fire station, and uh, our emergency folks there, uh, you know, walk us through it. And we are in regular touch with provincial um, emergency operators as well. So whatever you know, it's very structured and detailed. So we're we're actually in the process of preparing. Um, some communications to the public this week about how that how this thing runs and how it's structured and who's on it and uh, what our liaison is with the province. But it it actually I hope will provide some comfort for the community that that we prepare for emergencies uh, always. We 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 are prepared. We have uh, the plan in place. The provinces as well. And so when they hit, we just activate the plan, and that's what we're doing now. From a, a public information standpoint, uh, it's interesting to see how this rolls out. And, and I, I know that when you declared that state of emergency, a lot of folks were saying, well, is that redundant? Because the, the premier had done that just a few days before. What, what advantages does that give you when you, when you make that declaration? Uh, there's two, two main ones. The primary reason that I uh, declared, and it is a choice, uh, th- th- that's one of the few decisions that only the mayor can make. Uh, and, of course, I consulted uh, broadly before making that decision, and I, I can say there was uh, unanimous support at the Emergency Control Group Council. Uh, you know, the community was, was way ahead of us even on that, and, and we're looking for that. But the main reason that I declared was to send a message in the strongest terms that we are in a very serious situation and we need people to follow the advice of expert medical professionals we were observing. Uh, and it's still, it's still happening, although it, it is uh, very much slowed down. But people were gathering together. People were ignoring the advice. And, you know, I know everyone thinks they're invincible until it happens to them. But, but we, we realized immediately that um, we needed to send a message to our community. There had been, of course, a death in Halton. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, an individual in Milton who got it through community spread. Uh, and we also knew that uh, at the time that uh, we declared in Burlington that the uh, all of the March break folks were coming home if they'd have been out of the country prior to uh, the province announcing the emergency. And we knew that we had snowbirds that were regularly expected to come back two to 300,000 people across the country. And so it was really, really important to send that message that when you come home and, and if you are already here, you have to social distance. And that's one of the reasons, actually, in provincial um, directives that you would declare an emergency is to send that message. The other yeah. in practical terms, uh, it does give the mayor some authority to make executive orders. I haven't exercised that <laughs> authority. I haven't needed to. Uh, but if there comes a time where a decision needs to be made instantly and you can't convene a special counsel because there are rules around how you do that, mm-hmm. then the mayor has that ability to do that. So I hope it won't come to that, but it's there if necessary. And as I said, we, we plan for every eventuality, hoping we won't need to, to do it. I, my understanding, and I'll just try to relate this to the Hamilton situation, I, I know from talking to you in the past that this is the process. And it's always comforting, I think, as you mentioned, for citizens to know that, yeah, we got a plan. Uh, we know this is coming, but you meet on a regular basis, as you mentioned, with police, with fire. I, Joe Brand Hospital, I assume, is in on those conversations as well when it's a health crisis like this. Uh, so Absolutely. when you make that declaration, it's not like, okay, what are we going to do now? You already know what you're going to do. It's a matter of implementing this particular emergency plan. Absolutely. And and it does just escalate the level of, of seriousness. It also gives you a bit of uh, cover, if you will, uh, for, uh, for simple things like liability. If you are unable because you've got your, you know, if staff are sick and you can't fill a pothole, it provides extra uh, liability coverage and, and just recognizing that. Uh, we will, you know, we will continue to keep up with the infrastructure of the city, and and we haven't had an issue at all at the city. But it, it again, it just prepares you and and provides some protection for the municipality and the taxpayers in the eventuality that that might happen. So there's a lot of uh, things, and we're still learning about, um, you know, about about how 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 we're going to do this because this has never happened before in anyone's lifetime. How did the uh, how did the, the the residents respond to this? I mean, I, I know initially when we talked to city representatives uh, in Hamilton uh, that uh, there was a, a, a initially anyway a reaction of, "Oh, come on, aren't you guys overreacting just a little bit?" I, I'm not so sure that a lot of people understood the gravity of the situation. Was that the same in the Burlington? I have to say, in Burlington, that the public is ahead of the politicians on this one, and I 
part of my consideration before declaring was all of the comments and feedback that I was getting from residents saying you have to be stronger, you have to you have to send a message, people aren't getting it, and it puts everyone at risk. Uh, it puts all our friends and families, and also uh, very significantly, it puts our healthcare workers at risk if, if we don't uh, do what we're supposed to do. And, you know, as someone said, a previous generation was called to go to war and put their life on the line. We are called to stay home and sit on the couch and go out for essential services. We got this, people. We can do it. Yeah, because we saw, well, non-compliance. Too. We had a couple of mild weekends, of course, in, in the initial stages of this, and a lot of folks are thinking, come on, what's the big deal? You know, nobody's sneezing on me, but and it's not airborne, so you know, we can still seem to do this. I think we're getting that message now, though, aren't we, that uh, that uh, stay home means stay home. It doesn't mean uh, stay home unless you want to go to the store or, or anyplace else. It's It's interesting. I had to go to the grocery store just a couple of days ago. And uh, it's like a ghost town. I mean, I'm right on the, uh, yep. the verge of a large commercial district in the Meadowlands in Ancaster here, and just just about everything except the grocery store is shut down now. Uh, yes, exactly. And I think a lot of people are now switching to online ordering. You can get your yeah. groceries two, three times a week if you plan ahead, uh, delivered to your door so that you don't have to go out. And And the only caveat is people can you know, go outside for fresh air, walk the dog. Um, if you are walking with people that you live with in your immediate household that you that you know, this is not your neighbors, it's not your friends, it's your mom, it's not your mom who lives across town. If you are, you can interact with people in your immediate household. You can go outside as long as you don't gather, you don't uh, play, you know, a pickup game of of you know, whatever soccer with your with your friends down the street. Uh, if you keep six feet distance from anyone you encounter, and that includes if you are going for an essential trip to the grocery store or the drugstore, you still have to maintain that six feet distance. So uh, so it's okay for people to be outside their house on the streets and trails, but it's not okay to gather. It's not okay to uh, come closer to anyone else uh, than six feet that isn't in your immediate household. So, uh, so, so, you know, Th- those, that's the clearest directive that we have gotten from public health, and we are going to be in this for a long haul. So, uh, you know, so take your morning constitutional, but stay six feet away. One of the tragedies, every death is a tragedy, of course, in a situation like this, but uh, we've heard now a number of stories about uh, the, the spread of COVID-19 in long-term care facilities, and, and obviously that's a, a major concern. Uh, what, what precautions and what steps do you take to try to, to protect this, not just the, the, the residents in places like that, uh, but also, of course, the staff in a circumstance? Absolutely, and, and we, uh, we know that public health is leading that in terms of giving advice to uh, long-term care in terms of what they need to do uh, to the degree that that those facilities have individual rooms if anyone is um, you know immunocompromised or showing symptoms they would really unfortunately be in the situation of having to stay in their room um, because these are communal gathering places and and so to protect everybody especially if there's one person who uh, has tested positive the the whole facility and we've seen this goes on lockdown and and that includes you know visitors from the outside you can't you can't come in and and people can't leave those facilities to go to the grocery store or to go out into the community and so they're in a they're in a u- unique position just because of the um you know, some of the vulnerable people that would be living in those facilities have have to be protected, clearly. Um, but these are, you know, these are difficult times that we, that that have to and difficult measures that have to be followed to keep everybody health and safe, healthy and safe. You made the announcement uh, just a, a little while ago about the Sound of Music Festival, of course, uh, being uh, canceled for it was supposed to be in June, I guess it was at Spencer Smith yep. Park. Uh, how talk to us a little bit about the process of how you make those de- evaluations and determinations about what's going to happen and what not happen. I mean, uh, cities have to plan, as as we know, and and there's a number of social events, of course, that are going on, but other things too uh, that are on the table right now as, as to whether or not the city is going to be supportive of this or whether they're going to have to cancel this. How far down the road are you looking? Obviously, this is a, a, a situation in June. Uh, what about the rest of the summer? Is this mm-hmm. everything on hold right now until we find out exactly how this is going to roll out over the next couple of months? Well, I, I think Burlington is unique in that we have put a 
uh, a three-month window. We're, we plan in quarters at the city, uh, three-month three-month sections, and so that that's our natural rhythm, and that's what we that's the lens that we applied to this decision is is what's three months out. Um, and because decisions have to be made now, money has to be spent, contracts mm-hmm. have to be signed, people have to be hired for activities that are months ahead. And so we knew internally, um, and, and we were getting that message certainly from our parks and rec folk, you know, we, we can't continue day-to-day, hour-to-hour. We can't continue with this vague until further notice facilities are closed. Uh, that could be that could be two days. That could be six months. So we knew that we needed, you know, for everyone's sake, for our staff, for community partners, for uh, for members and residents who want to take those programs. We needed to provide a deadline and some clarity and a date. And so uh, so three months, which really aligns with our our normal spring programming. Uh, and also aligns with how we normally plan at the city and quarters, we said end of June. It also aligns with the school year. Uh, we haven't seen an announcement yet from the province. They've, they've now extended the, the closure till at least April 13, uh, but we're expecting uh, an announcement later today even from the Minister of Education around you know, switching to online learning. So I think, honestly, it's a matter of time until we, we get the announcement about, about those uh, you know what's happening with the schools, and so it really kind of aligns with all of that, and and provides some clarity and certainty. Having said that, if this crisis is over in two weeks and we can reopen, we will. Uh, part of our plan is agility and and being flexible to reverse course, and uh, and we're prepared to do that too. But our best. Um, you know, the best uh, uh, advice that we're getting in terms of what we're in for, uh, we haven't hit the peak of cases. We know that that information is available online. We had a spike yesterday in Halton. We had another spike today, and we're expecting, uh, you know, we're expecting that to continue for, um, you know, probably till the middle of April. Uh, once, once we've, you know, flattened the curve, there's still COVID-19 in our community. And so the question becomes, at what point can we gather? If there's any case out there, uh, is it safe to to gather again? So I I think people do need to, and certainly on Sunday, uh, this was part of our thinking as well, on Sunday the Deputy Chief uh, Medical Officer of Health for the country told Canadians, uh, we're in this for a long haul, and this will be many months. That's the the best medical advice that we're getting at this time. So all of those things, our own practical realities, as, ra- as well as the best medical advice, as well as the need to be uh, to give some clarity and some structure to our decision-making uh, factored into why we chose uh, the end of June. And, you know, at some point in those three months, uh, you know, probably May, we'll look at what the summer uh, means. We don't know that yet, and we don't have to make that decision just yet, but we, we certainly knew we had to do the spring session. Madam Mayor, stay healthy. Thank you so much for the time today. Great talking with you again today. I don't know when we're going to do this face-to-face again, but in the meantime, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll uh, carry on and, and forge ahead on this. Uh, and good luck to you and your community as you do this. Take care. Thank you so much, Bill. Great to talk with you. Burlington Mayor Mary Ann Mead Ward. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.